0: Amen. Well, let's pray. Lord, we yield this time to you, and we welcome the sound of your words into our souls to train us, to transform us, to teach us, to lead us. We welcome the dynamic of the Holy Spirit in this place. Holy Spirit, have your way, have your way in such a way that we get lost in your great love, in your great power. Anoint this place, Lord, as your meeting place with us, and let us leave different than the way we came. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I was smiling a little bit as she was sharing, I says, she's going to preach. What I'm gonna preach here, she keeps going. Well, two weeks ago, and it seems much longer than that. <clears throat> that a a terrorist walked into the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida. It does seem longer than two weeks ago, doesn't it? Just because of the the saturation of the of the coverage. But that terrorist murdered 49 people and injured 53 others, which half were treated by trauma surgeons, and those surgeons were calling every surgeon they knew because it was like a war zone in the two hospitals where some 50 people, 55 people, were transported. Nine were too far gone to save. Twenty-seven remained hospitalized, six in ICU, and two of them will more than likely be permanently disabled. A wide range of blame, if you haven't heard, let me just give you some of the options as to why this happened. The New York Times carried an opinion that Paul's letter to the church at Rome was to blame for the killings. The Book of Romans. One group blamed capitalism. I don't know how you apply that. Others blame gun laws, the NRA, Republicans. The ACL blamed you. Do you know that? As a Christian, it was your fault. That's right. A lawyer with the ACLU said it's, it's Christians that are to blame for what happened in Orlando. Homophobia, well, that's to blame. But that term in some people's idea includes anyone who believes that homosexuality is unnatural, contrary to God's order, and is a sin against God. But what is to blame? Well, there was only one shooter, and his name was Omar Mateen, American-born of Afghan descent. He's an American-born citizen. He was the only shooter, and he said... What he was doing was because he pledged allegiance to ISIS, Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. He pledged his allegiance in calls while he was killing people to tell the 911 operator and the police that he was following their plan to wreak carnage on Christians, Jews, and Muslims who do not perceive To be following Islamic laws, and here we are in an election year, and oh, are we are in an election year, right? Well, I'm not going to get political on you, but who do we listen to? Ask the stuff like this: Who do we listen to, and who are we to believe? I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter five, by the way. What is the future of? our nation when it comes to these things. Where are we going from here? You know, just eight days away, we're going to celebrate the bravery, the courage of leaders in the American colonies who pledged themselves to striving for freedom, for liberty, instead of pledging allegiance to an external suppressive authority, namely the King George of England. And I want to encourage you, if you've never read the Declaration of Independence in its entirety, you need to go through it because Thomas Jefferson just rendered a list of the injustices of the King of England. It's kind of like Martin Luther. Someone asked me about Martin Luther the other day posted those 95 theses, those 95 statements that he posted on the castle door in Wittenberg. And almost every one of them was an objection to the Pope. Now that would get you killed. And the reason Luther was not one of the martyrs like John Huss is that Luther had a local governor and civic leaders who loved him and protected him. Or he would have been... Among those killed, because he was objecting, he was objecting to an authority that he felt like was pressing the church in the wrong way. I pledge allegiance." We're very familiar with those words, aren't we? But we follow saying to the flag of the United States of America, right? No, I'm not preaching next Sunday's message today. But this is a message that's not even about the flag of the United States of America. It's a message that's about our day that we live in, our day and time as Christians, people who follow Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, because our day is not that much different from the days of the early believers. It is in the scope of what they endured, but we have the same evil presence we're dealing with that they dealt with. We're not presently in this country choosing between life and death. No, we have not been brought to that point yet. But we are challenged every day, every day to choose to whom our allegiance will belong. Every day we live, the question of our allegiance is on the table. Every day. If you don't believe it, just God needs to open our minds as to what constitutes a 24-hour day for us. That brings us back to these first believers in Acts. And when we, what we read in Acts chapter 5 does not stand alone. It's a narrative of the early believers and Dr. Luke's recording of that history from the very first words through what we're going to read. It's a continuum of these men and women following the Lord, the consequences of their following the Lord, and this is what I want you to see today, the progression of their lives in following Jesus. They're not the same people in Acts 5 that they were in, In chapter 2, they're further along than the upper room experience. All you have to do is look at chapter 3 where Peter and John have this crippled man at one of the entrances to the temple courtyard, healed. And as a result, thousands of people get saved and they're arrested In chapter 4, they're arrested and interrogated, and it's all about, how did you do that? How did that guy get healed? And they said, well, if you want to know, it's through the name of Jesus. And in that, they said, well, you decide whether we should listen to you or listen to the Lord. But what you read in chapter five is even further along. So here we go. This is where we're going to start, in Acts five is verse 12. "The apostles perform <clears throat> many signs and wonders. And even verse 12 is not standalone, because if you look at Acts 4:31, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon these people again and filled them again. And they performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade there in the temple courtyard. (laughs) No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their numbers. As a result, People brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Wouldn't you like to be a part of that? Signs and wonders... You know, there was a lot of people looking and watching. And I like it what it said in the, in the larger group in the public setting. They liked what they were seeing, but they weren't ready to join up. wonder why. But privately, it must have been that the message was getting to them because it said more and more men and women. So it must have been not the crowd affected, but it was the effect of the gospel. And what about Peter and his shadow? What about that? They were bringing people to line up on the sidewalk, on beds and mats, so that when Peter passed by, maybe his shadow would touch some of them. Was it his shadow that was healing them? Well, they were getting healed, So much so that the outer towns around Jerusalem started this influx of an infirmary that was forming on the streets, sick. And probably people could deal with the sick people as those that were tormented by impure spirits. It probably says, you know, did you have to bring them as well? Because who knows what behavior they had. But it says all of them were healed. All of them. Now, you know, it could be, it could be, Catherine Coleman was asked about the the people that was healed in her meetings. It could be that people's faith, like the woman who had the issue of blood, their faith was the connection to God's healing. Because she said in her mind, if I could get to Jesus and just touch part of his clothing, he doesn't have to pray for me. He doesn't even have to notice me. But if I can reach my hand through the crowd and touch any part of his clothing, I'll get healed. And when she did, without his knowledge, she was instantly healed. Her, her hemorrhaging problem was healed immediately. And sometimes, Larry and I was talking about this, sometimes people's expectations is the point of faith. And Catherine Coleman said, most of the people that are healed in our meetings, we didn't even pray for. They came expecting at some point in that service that God would touch them. And the reason he touched them is because they were there believing that. You know, I, I think you ought to keep your sick six children who are running a fever at home, but my mother didn't practice that. If we were able to get dressed and carted off to church, she'd have Pastor Carter anoint us with oil and pray for us for Sunday school. You lay hands on them and pray for them so they'll be healed. You know, and she believed that, and and many times we were healed. Most of the time we were healed. But she really believed that. And I think maybe people got caught up in who Peter was, and it was their expectation if we could get close enough for that guy's shadow to touch us, we're going to get healed. And maybe it was that. But they were getting healed, weren't they? But there was other people noticing what was going on. It was the high priest and his family and his leaders. Verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. A little envious, weren't they? Popularity was going somewhere else. They arrested the apostles. By the way, I love this story. If if you can't. Read stuff like this and not like this is so cool. They arrested them, (laughs) arrested apostles for people getting healed. They arrested them and put them in the public jail. And during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. He didn't say, run for your lives. Go right back to that temple court. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts and as they were being told and began to teach the people, they did what exactly what the angels, they just began to engage in the people's lives. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, there was no one there. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss wondering what this might lead to. Then some, (laughs) I love this. I can picture all this. Someone runs into the meeting. Look, the man you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. What's not to love about this story? There are probably multiple sermons in this text that I'm going to try to preach all in one time but I only have a select few places on the calendar where I get to preach. So this is kind of like a Jason's Deli Reuben sandwich. You ever had a Jason's Deli Reuben sandwich? You have to, you have to do jaw exercises to stretch your mouth. It's loaded. This, this is a pressed in. This is a lot of sermons in one. Miracles, signs, wonders, And this was the buzz of the city, and the leaders are arrested. And planned interrogation, and when it was supposed to take place, they're nowhere to be found, and instead of running and hiding, the angel tells them, listen, when James, the apostle, is executed, that was not a failure of the church. When Stephen was stoned in Acts 7, That was not a failure. We said, why didn't God rescue James? I mean, he was one of the inner three. Why didn't God rescue Stephen? He rescued both of them, but not in the way that we like rescue. He used their testimony where they loved not their lives even unto death and did not resist without the shedding of blood. They were willing to lay down their lives. And this is, this is kind of neat. The angels said, just go back and do what you were doing that got you arrested. And there they are preaching. And they're brought in, and we're going to pick this up in verse 28 because I think, I think probably the high priest is a little bit more perturbed than normal. And this is what he said to them. We gave you strict orders. Chapter 4, their first arrest. This is the second time they've been called to the principal's office. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood, referring to Jesus. Peter and the other apostles replied, this is where I thought Joey was going to start preaching this message. We must obey God rather than man rather than human beings. We, this is, this is a principled statement here. We must obey God rather than human beings. You know, if he'd just stopped there, he'd probably he was still not be in too much trouble, <laughs> but he didn't stop there. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to kill him. What made him so mad? Peter and them are too deep. They're they're too deep into experiencing God. They're, They're just too far gone to be intimidated by these men. It was interesting that their first time around, they saw that they had courage and they were not really educated people, but they weren't intimidated by it. Well, they're not really intimidated now. And now they're saying, you said that we're trying to, make you guilty of this man's blood, well, we'll just go ahead and tell you you are guilty of this man's blood because you killed him. But God exalted him and raised him from the dead. You know, the first time they got in trouble in chapter 4 was when they, this guy got healed. They were in the middle of that crowd telling them that through Jesus there's resurrection from the dead. They were preaching a brand new idea and people were getting saved. Peter and these men were too far gone and too persuaded in what they were doing to be intimidated by a group of privileged, entrenched power brokers in Jerusalem. They weren't bowing to them. You see, what, what is going on here is where's your allegiance? Who are you going to give allegiance to? Because this is a principled statement. This is a core value. You ought to write down Acts 5.29 and underline, we must obey God rather than man as a core value of your life. And don't think for a moment that what we're reading is not related to you. Doesn't have anything to do with you and what you go through from day to day. We're talking about personal allegiance and where your ultimate l- allegiance is in your life. Whatever, whatever your calling is, whatever you do in the church, whatever uh, whether it's ushering, greeting, teaching, being an impact girl, uh, girls' leader, or role Royal Ranger leader, or, or in ministry, singing, worship band, whatever, whatever your calling is, this core value Supersedes all of the nuances of that call. That no matter what you do, it comes down to this in doing that, your allegiance should only belong to God. I must obey God rather than men because I, here's what's going to pull at you the easy way is going to pull at you. The convenient way is going to pull at you the popular and trendy way is going to contend for your heart and your mind it's going to pull you it wants to pull you in and it becomes the dictate of your life when it does that and then you have to go back to this and make that statement again we must obey God rather than man because in your ear There's always going to be a voice telling you to do something that does not honor God or please God or follows his will. There's a contention for your life and for your mind and for your heart and for your allegiance. It would be better if Peter just stopped at verse 29, but he didn't. He didn't mince words. And they were furious and wanted to kill them, and we're going to kill them. Now I'm not going to go through Gamaliel's intervention there, and I don't think Gamaliel was an apologist for the apostles. He wasn't up there telling that you know maybe maybe they're right, and we ought to just go along with them. He was telling these leaders, but you need to really think about what you're trying to do to these men, because this is what verse 39 is where he convinces them, you better not kill them. Because if this is of God that they're talking about, the God that they're going to obey rather than men, if this is of God, you will not be able to stop these men. And even beyond that, you would be found as fighting against God. Is that what you want to do? He gave a couple examples of people who rose up and led several hundred people with them as a revolt. And he said, what happened to those two leaders? They were killed and their followers were scattered. If you don't think this is of God, then it's not going to work. But if this is of God, you're not dealing with men. You're dealing with God. So what did they do? If you read on down, they didn't kill them. They just beat them. <laughs> they flogged them. <laughs> and they told them again, we don't want you teaching and preaching anymore in that name, the name of Jesus You know, um, I was thinking about Cory ten Boone the other day and watched part of The Hiding Place again. What a great movie. What a great story. And this family, this Dutch family, is caught up in, in the illegal activity against Nazi Germany. They built false walls in their homes to hide Jewish people, and they were part of the underground to get Jewish people out of Holland and into safety. And on February the twenty eighth, nineteen forty four, they were ratted out by someone. Someone betrayed the family, what they were doing, and they came in and arrested all the family. And they found more ration cards than what they were supposed to have, which was illegal, because they were feeding a bunch of people in that house. And then took them all off to prison. And they hunted the house to make sure that there was no one else hiding in the house. They were, they were so good at what they did, there was four Jewish people still in that house that they didn't find behind a fake wall in Corey Ten Boone's bedroom. And for a few days, they stayed in that hiding place without food and water until someone from the underground finally got to them And got them out. Her daddy was 83 or 84 years of age when they arrested him. And he's an old watchmaker, an old man. And part of the interrogation they asked, did you understand that you could die for helping the Jews? You know what his answer was? It might as well be Acts 5. I must obey God rather than you. But this is exactly what he said to him. It would be an honor. (laughs) It would be an honor for me to lay down my life for God's ancient people. He didn't make 10 days in the concentration camp. But he counted it an honor, an absolute honor, You know, in today's reading of the Scripture, it says, we could say, when they released him and beat them, that the apostles went to a local attorney firm and pressed charges and filed a lawsuit against him for damages. But you know what they said? Is that cool? We just just got the tar beat out of us for Jesus. How about that? What an honor. What an honor. God counted us worthy to suffer for our Savior. Did that little meeting and that beating change? It, it changed them, but it didn't change the way they were doing things according to the people who beat them up. They were even more. If you follow this, it says after they left, they were elated, and it says... Day after day, day after day, verse 42, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. You see, here, here's, what, here's what would be what people would like for us to do. Our world would be okay about us just staying right here in our little gathering and holding hands and singing our songs and loving each other and encouraging each other and pray for each other and walk out and it all stays right here. Don't go out there and disrupt people's lives. Don't go out there and confront Evil and sin. Don't go out there to tell people the good news of Jesus. Don't cause people not to like you or be upset with you. Think about this. Somebody said, Well, we just need to love them. I even heard a very high ranking official in our government said the best way that we can fight terrorism is through love. That's right. And Jesus came to this world because God so loved this world. And so he never made anybody mad, did he? He never provoked anybody to want to harm him, right? He was such a... dis You know why people didn't like him? He disrupted the status quo. And I want to tell you, in in, in wrapping this up this morning, our world would be just fine if we stayed out of their stuff. But according to Joey, God told us to go and jump right in the middle of their stuff and tell them that Jesus loves them. And the only way to be saved, I like it in in chapter 4 when they looked at Those Sanhedrin leaders says, well, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, but at the name of Jesus. How about that for making them like you? And it's still true today. Obey God. We've got to obey God. We don't intentionally pledge allegiance to things, but sometimes privately we don't realize we are giving our allegiance to stuff that's just of this world. We need to pledge allegiance to God and say, I must obey. We, we ought to have moments in our lives, in our days, where we have to say, I must obey God rather than man. Would you stand with me?